Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the associate pastors here at OCC. Like Josh said, we're launching a new message series today. And usually my first thought when I think of that and remember, oh, it's a new message series today. I think donuts. So I hope, I mean, there's other things I probably should think about, but I love donuts. I hope you enjoyed the donuts. That's just a fun way to kick it off. But um, I am also excited about this message series. It's called Stories to Live By. Um, You're going to hear from a few different men from our church over the next five weeks. Um, and, And here's why it's kind of an exciting series. Everyone loves to listen to a good story, right? I know I do. I imagine you do. Whenever I leave um, hearing a speech or just kind of a a class uh, session or whatever, what I remember most are the stories, hearing speeches or different things. I remember the stories, especially the ones that um, I can connect to personally. And years and years ago, when Jesus was here on earth and as he was doing his ministry and teaching, um, he used stories as a way to communicate life-changing truths. Um, these are called parables. He could have spoken exclusively in uh, do's and don'ts lists, or he, he could have done whatever he wanted. But in, in, the, in the gospel uh, um, letters, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, over 40 parables are recorded uh, for, that Jesus used to teach these life-changing truths. And as we look at, over the next five weeks, as we look at these parables, um, here's Here's what's exciting. If we embed the truth of the parable into our hearts and into our lives, it really has the potential to change our life radically for the better. This is how Jesus taught. And and they're memorable, they're sticky, but the challenge is to wrestle with the truth that's in there. And so so I'm excited for for this series. Before I launch into today's parable, let's pray uh, one more time. Dear God, we do... Thank you so much for your love and for your grace towards us. It is pretty amazing to remember that. Today, uh, God, we, we open your word and we, we begin uh, five weeks of looking at the parables of Jesus, God. And my prayer today is that we would hear what it is Jesus was teaching to the, to the people at the time, but he's also speaking to us now. So help us to hear from you, from your word. You desire that we have a full and rich and meaningful life, which is the parable we look at today. So help us, God, to see the the truth in this story and know how to connect it to our lives today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's parable we're going to look at, it's referred to as the rich fool. Um, And it's recorded in the book of Luke when I was given the choice of, um, you know, pick a parable to, to speak on. I was drawn to this one. Um, for just, well, for, because of the last three words of the parable, there was nothing really like, nothing drew me in, in particular, except for these last three words I thought were pretty interesting. So at the end of this parable, Jesus ends the story with appealing to everyone to be rich toward God. That was it. I thought, rich toward God, that sounds cool. That's a, that's a good phrase. I want to study that. So I did. I picked this parable, started studying it, and I need to warn you, that there's a lot of challenge in this message. I didn't necessarily think of that as I picked it and, you know, went, went for it. But um, 
I, I've, I've encountered the challenge of this message, and, and I think you will too. And, and I'll say up front, um, what, what are we supposed to do with all this? I think what Jesus is telling us is to wrestle with this idea. Just wrestle with it. What does it mean to be rich toward God? So I am glad I picked it, but I'm just giving you the, the, the heads up. Um, so but before we jump into a discussion about rich, being rich toward God, let me ask the question, what does it even mean to be rich? Okay, and we get some mixed messages about this. We hear different things. So on the one hand, you may know, or you may have heard similar statistics like this. If you make over $32,000 annually, or your household does, you're in the top 1% of the richest in the world. That's pretty interesting. The average uh, income in Riverside is just under $75,000 per household. And so... Well, the worldwide average income is under 10, just under $10,000 per year. So just being here, um, you know, usually means that in America, in a, in a prosperous land, on the one hand, we are rich. We, we sort of can identify, wow, we, we are really blessed to be here. But on the other hand, there's another perspective. What does it mean to be rich? I found a Charles Schwab survey, Modern Wealth Survey, just from this year, 2019, and it, the results were that you need a lot more than a mere seven figures to be viewed as wealthy these days. According to this survey on wealth, they found that most Americans think it, it requires $2.27 million to be considered elite, rich in America. And I thought that was kind of an interesting number to, to pick, $2.27 million. So, Here's, here's the dynamic. We don't, probably most of us don't make $2.27 million, but, so we don't feel rich when we look around. On the other hand, if we expand our view worldwide, we realize we are rich, according to, to the other study. But, so here's my point about what does it mean to be rich. The answer completely depends on your perspective. Which angle are we looking at to, to get the answer? And what I love about this parable, Jesus attacks that issue straight on, that tension. And what he does is he speaks directly to this issue in a way that it was so different than what the crowd expected, and I imagine it's different than what we expect today. But let's walk through this parable and see what it is that Jesus says about being rich toward God. So let me set the scene, and then we'll read the whole parable together. The scene is this. A huge crowd is is following Jesus. They've assembled to hear Jesus talking. Uh, the, the, the passage leading up to this parable, it says thousands upon thousands had gathered. They were even trampling over one another to hear Jesus speak. So I'm, a, I'm picturing just like a big concert or something where people are packed in there, standing room only, someone's stepping on your toes, um, you know, just to hear. So that's the scene. And, and so he's, he's in this big crowd. And then we pick up Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in that crowd said to him, Probably had to holler because it's a big crowd. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, probably had to holler back. Man, I love that word. Man, I look. I kind of studied that for a second. It's, it wasn't necessarily a nice reply. Um, Jesus was kind, but that wasn't particularly like a gentle reply. He's like, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So Jesus refuses to to really get into the issue. But then he said to them, Jesus turned to the whole crowd, and he says this, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And then that was all real life stuff. And then Jesus launches into this parable to, to expound on this point. The parable goes like this. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Jesus turns back to the crowd and and it ends this way. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So that's the story. Then there's the parable. Let's expand on some of the characters here and learn a little bit more. And then we'll talk about being rich toward God. So here's the characters. There's the greedy man. We'll call him the greedy man. The, the man in the crowd that wanted a piece of that inheritance. Obviously, there's Jesus. There's the crowd itself. Those were all real-life people. That was, this was a real story. This really happened. And then there's the parable Jesus told. And there's kind of the fictional uh, character, the rich fool. Okay, So let's talk about each of those characters and, and get a deeper look into this. The greedy man, the one who hollered out of the crowd at Jesus, he was appealing for Jesus to, uh, to enter interject into the situation and make a ruling really for, on his behalf. He wanted to get some of the inheritance. He wanted a slice of the pie. Jesus, like we saw, basically said no. That wasn't his mission. That wasn't what he was here to do. Um, but he wanted to, he didn't want to waste the opportunity to teach the crowd that had gathered to hear him. So verse 15 is a really um, clear picture uh, of kind of this whole parable. Why did Jesus tell the parable? It's this idea. Jesus said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So I, if Jesus, you know, were to walk in the room today, I, we'd probably, a lot of us would probably want to ask a question. We probably have some questions for Jesus, but I'd be nervous to, because what Jesus does is he, he peels back the heart and gets to the motive of the question. That's what he did with this man. Jesus said, be on your guard against greed. Here's the definition of greed. Greed is an insatiable desire for more. And that word insatiable, that's, that's a rich word. That means it's impossible to satisfy. I, there's always a little bit more that, would, that I want. It'll never be fully satisfied. Greed is actually called idolatry elsewhere in the Bible, in Colossians and Ephesians. Um, so, so Jesus peels back this man's question, or it really wasn't a question if you look at it. He was sort of telling Jesus what to do. And, and Jesus said, no. He said, be on guard against greed. Um, John, John Steinbeck also had, a, had an angle, a, a good angle on greed. He understood the power of greed. As you know, he's, a, he's an author, a, a great literature figure. Um, and this is what John Steinbeck said. A strange species we are. We can stand anything God and nature can throw, us, throw at us, save only plenty. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. And I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, sick. Greed is a, is a powerful motivator. And Jesus 
attacks it this way. He's, and he, he informs us, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Consists is, is that verb to be. Life is not possessions. To live is not to have more and more things. But here, and here's the issue that Jesus is telling us. Greed messes with our perception of reality. It, 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 greed tells us life equals possessions. Being equals having. Uh, it, it lies to us. Wealth lies to us. Elsewhere, in, in G, um, Jesus says in Matthew 13, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Um, these are things that, that get our perspective off. The greedy man that wanted the inheritance, you can almost see the inheritance whispering the lie to him. If you lose me, you'll lose a large part of your life. What life could be for you is, is hanging in the balance because of this money. The lie of money is that if we don't have it, we won't be happy. And, and, and I wrestle with this. Our hearts, my heart, your heart, we're so vulnerable to that lie, to believing that. Money says to us, I am your life. But Jesus said, that's not true. And I have a story to, uh, it's an embarrassing story for me, um, but I've been greedy. It's, it's an example of this battle to, to not believe that lie. But I'm willing to share it with you. It's not like I tripped and fell. You know, that's not that kind of embarrassing. But it, it reveals, kind of like Jesus did with this man, it reveals the, the real inner workings of our hearts sometimes. So I have an older car, and it must have been a especially rickety day driving up to work. And, and uh, I gave myself a challenge. I'm just by myself in my car. I don't know why, but I thought, I'm going to, you know, give myself a, a, something to do, a challenge. And it was this. If I could have any other car that I see right now on the road next to me, um, which one would I choose? As if this was, you know, a real game. Um, so, but the, the rules were I have to be able to see it, okay? So I had some parameters on this. So my mind started racing. Which one would I pick? And I'm looking around, and there's a lot of strategies to this. I really want to maximize every opportunity, you know? So I don't want to mess up my one pick. So I'm looking around, and I see, like, expensive cars, and I think, oh, I could get that one, sell it, get what I really want. Or I, or I could, you know, maybe get that monster truck with huge tires, and but gas is a lot. But then I don't have to pay for the truck, so I could pay for gas. My, my mind is just going a, a mile a minute. And here's the embarrassing part. That, that's embarrassing enough. But here's the really, truly embarrassing part is that I was getting actually anxious about this game in my head. Every stop sign, I was, like, looking for a new, you know, set of opportunities. But I was, like, I was getting anxious about this. And later in that same day, I was kind of reflecting. I think God brought it to my mind. I was reflecting on the experience and the impact that it had on me. And I realized I was totally giving in to greed. I was coveting what other people had. I was not content with what God had provided to me. And so I, right there, I, at that day, I confessed it. I, I asked God for forgiveness. Um, I want to repent of that type of, of behavior, but... It scares me still today how quickly, how easy it was to, to give in to the lie that more and better things equals a better life. Greed is, is a really powerful motivator that kind of flies below the radar if we're not careful. And as you know, if you've ever gotten something new and shiny and, you know, just brand new, one day it's not new anymore. And then we want more. And then we want the next. And, and so it's just this, it's a perpetuating cycle. Greed leads to this, this, I want more, and then, 
well, then, I, then I, that's not good anymore, so I want more. So it's, so it's a perpetuating cycle. Having the right perspective about our possessions is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not actually talking about the things themselves, but our perspective about the things. So let's talk about the rich fool for a second. The rich fool is, is the one in the parable who's, whose land produced, and it seems like overnight he became wealthy. The modern symbol of this, you know, where there's not many farmers in the room, I'm guessing. So the modern symbol is the, a business person. Or, or someone in the workforce who had an excellent year and got a big bonus or got the raise or the investor whose stocks really performed well, made a huge profit. So it's important to note that Jesus doesn't scold the rich man. Jesus doesn't tell this man that because he's rich, he's a fool. Uh, the fool part comes later. So don't hear me saying that because that's not what Jesus said either. Uh, if that's the case, we're all in a bad position according to the worldwide studies of of what is rich. But it's rather it's good to be successful. Wealth is a blessing from the Lord. After all, it's him who makes the crops produce. And and did you know he is sovereign over your sales goals and your stocks and your bonuses and your raises and your your future potential opportunities. God is is above it all. He's in control. So may the Lord you know, make your business, make your efforts prosperous. The issue isn't the stuff itself. What Jesus wants us to see in this parable is that our perspective on riches matters more than the riches themselves. So here's where it starts to go south for, for the rich man. Look at verse 18 and take note of these pronouns. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my grain and my goods without missing a beat, This guy becomes wealthy overnight, it seems like. Without missing a beat, the man takes full credit for this wealth. He assumed full ownership. And after all, it was his field and his work and his crops, right? Well, well that, well, no. (laughs) There's more to it. And this wrong perspective, this perspective of it's mine, leads to the wrong conclusion of what he ought to do with it. Look at the next verse. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things. Here's his conclusion. Take life easy. Take it easy, just like the eagles sang about in that song that gets stuck in our head. Do you guys know that song? I'm assuming most. Okay. I I like that song. I I can't say I love it anymore after encountering this parable and seeing what God says about this perspective, but it's a catchy tune. But this is the major error that this rich man makes. His abundance of possessions now is his life. He, he falls into that trap. And the wrong perspective leads to bad conclusions about what we do with them. We have to keep that idea of take it easy at bay. Um, but put yourself in this man's shoes for a minute. Let's say overnight you become, you become a millionaire. Maybe you won the lottery or something happened. Um, so put yourself in that man's shoes. What's racing around in your mind? You know, what are you going to do with, with your new riches? Are you going to pay down debt or upgrade something or uh, save for the future, go on vacation? The Charles Schwab study that I mentioned earlier, that wealth survey, it asked that very question. It asked people, if you suddenly had a $1 million, what would you do? And here's the results. They, they asked thousands of people, and this is what came in. Uh, 54% spend it. Some would pay off debt, invest, save, donate it. And as you look at this list, I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing this up there to say, look how evil this is. You know, None of these are pure evil. 
Jesus doesn't give us, you know, a breakdown of everything we ought to do if we were to become wealthy instantly. None of these guarantees that we're acting purely out of greed. So here's the point of me showing you this. It's too simple a thing to boil it down to a black and white do's and don'ts list of where does the money go? What do I do with my riches? There's something much deeper than that Jesus is addressing here. And it's the issue of our perspective uh, on the wealth. And here's why that, that's so important, because there's eternal significance to, to that perspective. God said to him, the rich, he, so far he was a rich man, but God says, you fool. This is when he becomes the rich fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? When I, get, when I get to heaven, I imagine you too, as we're walking up, feeling good, we're about to get there. I, the last thing I want to hear is, you fool! You know, that'd be, that's, it's silly to think, you know, that scene, I don't know how it's going to go, but I really, really don't want to hear, you fool. Imagine the regret that you would feel if you heard that. Imagine the, the rich fool, you know, the regret that he had after hearing this. He can never change that. You see, we're responsible before God with how we live in all things. And our hearts are the cockpit of our lives, how we live, the, de- the decisions we make, what we value. All of that happens in our heart. That's what Jesus is addressing here, the, a matter of the heart. So that's the end of the parable. Jesus turns to the crowd and says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. So there's that, there's that contrast. Don't store up for yourselves. Be rich toward God. Storing up for ourselves is such an unstable goal. Overnight, it could be gone. It could be all for nothing. The issue is actual life, not the stuff of life. So let's look at this concept. What does it mean to be rich toward God? We're finally at the fill in the blanks part of of the message. So sorry if you've been stressing. I'll go through these quickly. But here's what it means to be rich toward God. By the way, the Bible says so much more about our resources and how do we use our money. And so um, more than just this parable. So the first thing, being rich toward God, I honor God with my resources. Honor God with, with my resources. This is another way to say, be rich toward God. Honor is an interesting word. It I looked it up. You know, it's one of those words that we're pretty familiar with. Uh, we, we use it a lot. But I looked it up. What does that really mean to honor God? Honor, the word means give weight to. Uh, and, and so the best illustration I could think of is if there's a guest, if we're hosting, you know, my family's hosting somebody out of town. We pick them up. They arrive. And they say, I'd really love Chick-fil-A tonight. We don't have one near us. So can we go to Chick-fil-A? But what happened before we picked them up is my family and we, we talked about, we set our hearts and our stomachs on in and out this night. But, but our guest wants Chick-fil-A. So what we do, what do we do? They're our honored guests. We want to show them honor. So their preference has more weight than all of our preferences combined. And so it's the same idea with God. Honoring God means letting his preference have more weight in our life than our own. Honoring God with our resources Specifically, that means moving our treasure towards him. Um, Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. It doesn't say the last fruit. You know, at some point, get around to it. 
somewhere towards the end of the paycheck. You know, honor is, is up front. It's giving weight to what God desires. So it's leveraging our resources for his goals, not, not ours as the primary ones. It's the opposite of treating life and our things as our own. And so it's, this is hard to do. And by the way, this is a fun thought. If you really want to, to, be, to make your life about doing what God has told us to do, if you really want to honor God with your life, and in the end, avoid hearing, you fool, what we can do is we can throw our treasure towards what God wants, his goals, his ways. What the Bible says is our heart will follow that. Where our treasure is, there our heart is. So we can actually move our heart that direction by moving our treasure that direction first. So honoring God is considering God greater than anything else. Second, being rich toward God means that I value what he values. Value what he values. It's kind of a similar idea. Let's say you've decided, okay, I want to honor God with my resources. So what do I do? Where, does, where do I direct it? And that's... The question is, what does God value? And that's a great question. If you aren't quite sure, actually, there's a lot of things. I don't have a list for you. I'm not going to give you a list. I want you to, to, to get into that question. Read your Bible with that question in mind. What does God value? Maybe ask somebody who you perceive as you know, further along in, in this area and ask them, what does God value? I encourage you to find out that answer. We do know uh, pretty clearly what God doesn't value. First of all, by this parable, but also look at Romans fourteen seventeen. Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So right there, that's directly in opposition to what this rich fool said. He wanted to eat, drink, and be merry. But what God values is, is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, righteousness, many, many other things. And we need help with this. Valuing what God values, it's, it's a nice, simple phrase, right? It is so, so hard to do. It's so against what we naturally want to do. So this should be our prayer. I love this. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 36, 37, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. I actually love the King James Version. The end, the last phrase in the King James Version of that, it says, quicken thou me in thy way. I don't normally read King James, by the way. It's, it's harder to understand. But I love the phrasing of that because we're slow to turn our hearts and our eyes towards what God values, towards his ways. We need to be quickened uh, to look his way. You know, our hearts are a mixed bag. We have good intentions and we have bad intentions and, and we, we need help. Uh, we need help from God to let the good intentions win out time after time and make our life rich towards God. We can do this if we pray this prayer. And lastly, being rich toward God, I propose it means store up your treasure in heaven. In fact, Jesus tells us to do this in Matthew 6. He says, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Again, anything else is kind of a, a, a shaky investment. But if we store up in heaven, it's where God is. And, by the way, where our treasure is, our heart will be there also. So, so storing up in heaven is, is a way to keep greed and the wrong perspective of life at bay and to be all about being rich toward God. There's a really great book on this whole topic. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, um, written by a man named Randy Alcorn. So I suggest that to you if, if you're interested to read more. But he says this, 
Temporal sacrifices will pay off in eternity. Okay, temporal sacrifices pay off in eternity. But temporal indulgences will cost us in eternity. The sacrifice that, that I think he's referring to, these temporal sacrifices, to sum it up, it's the take it easy approach to life. If we sacrifice that take it easy approach, then it'll pay off in eternity. But, but storing up in heaven, as you see, it costs us now. In the end, it's, it's a way to real life. We store up in heaven as we move our resources and our hearts. By the way, not when I say resources, it's more than just dollars. It's, it's the things that are most precious to us. Sometimes that's our time. Time is more valuable than money in a lot of, in a lot of ways. It's our, it's our gifting. It's what God has gifted us with. None of this is, is mine. The, the temptation is to think it's mine. But God wants us to move it towards him and store up in heaven. Let me, let me close with a, a quick list of how to avoid the rich fool's regret. Again, remember the regret, the regret he must have felt when he heard, you fool. Um, we want to avoid that at all costs. So here's a few ideas. And by the way, jot this down if you want to read this later. Uh, Luke 16, 19. There's another very similar story in Luke 16, 19 about a rich man who died and, and the regret that he had. He was begging for somebody to go tell his family not to follow his way of life. Um, it, it's a heavy story. It's, a, it's similar, but let's avoid that regret. So here, here's how. Number one, give regularly to God. 1 Corinthians 16.2 it, it talks about this idea. Giving regularly to God is a statement of gratitude. It says, God, I know that, that you own it all, that you've provided all of this to me. God provides the resources, and so... Giving regularly is a statement. It's not a tip. You know, we go to a restaurant, we leave a tip. If, and if the, if the experience was great, we might leave a little more of a tip. If it wasn't great, we might leave the minimum tip. But, but that's not the idea. That, that's not showing gratitude to God. Giving regularly breaks us away from the emotional reactive response. Depending on how life feels right now, I might give more or less. But the reality is, God has provided it all. Giving regularly is how to avoid the, the rich fool's regret. Uh, another way to avoid the regret is to give spontaneously. Okay, So we can give regularly, but we can also give spontaneously. Responding as God prompts you. And I'm not going to, I don't have a list of things you might consider giving spontaneously to. I think follow God's prompting in that. All of us have people in our lives where there's needs and opportunities with people. There's needs and opportunities to advance God's kingdom. There's needs and opportunities here at the church, and, and as God uses the church to, to accomplish his mission. So something you, you could do is build in, like a, I have friends with a generosity you know, budget line or a gratitude budget line, something that it just enables spontaneous giving. Um, the goal of giving, by the way, both of these you know, begin with give. How do you, it's, it's like that upside-down math. We talked about it last week. It looks like a minus sign, but it's, but it's supposed to be expanding. Getting rich towards God, it's, it's giving. And here's the goal of giving, is that we stay grateful. When we are grateful to God, it, it corrals our, our wrong perspective, the greed perspective. And lastly, this third point, err on the side of generosity. 
Storing up for ourselves is not the best strategy, as we can see in this parable. That's what, that's what led ultimately to the rich fool's regret, is he stored up for himself. Generosity is godly. This is an attribute of God. God gave us his son. Jesus gave up his life for us. The Holy Spirit gives help daily to those that, that follow Jesus Christ. When we are generous, we are like God. That's how we can avoid hearing in the end, you fool. Um, let me, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And I'll wrap up uh, just with these two more thoughts. We have, I, even me, as I look over that list of how to be rich toward God and how to avoid the regret, it brings up a few concerns. Like, what if I get ripped off? Or what if I never get what I really want? And in a group this size of people that uh, many, many of you are trying to follow God, I'm sure that there are story after story after story of God providing specifically for you. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say God has been providing for you all along. It's a matter of our own perspective to see that and to be grateful for it. God has undeniably provided for me and my family. And it's, and it's right there. Do We just have to see it. It's just a matter of perspective. God cares so much about us, and he takes care of us, even richly provides for us. This last brief story I want to tell you. Um, take a look at this toy. It's a little apple with squishies in it. So the other day, I have, I have young children. Two of them were, were both wanting the one toy. So there was a, there was a problem. Um, so that I heard this dispute kind of start. So I walked over. I wanted to kind of intervene and help them. And I, and I talked to them about you know, sharing, being generous. And I even asked them, what do you think pleases God in this moment? So I'm, I'm trying to get this way of thinking into their minds. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier when you see it to, to talk about it. When it's my own heart, it's hard to tell myself what I know is true. But anyway, so I, I gave them, I asked them these questions, and I told them this is even hard for mommies and daddies. This is hard for adults to do, to share and to give and be generous and want to please God all the time. And I actually didn't make a ruling. I didn't dictate who should share and who should be generous. I wanted them to kind of wrestle with, what do I do here? And, and uh, by the way, it turned out well. They, they played well together. I didn't want to leave you hanging too much. But right after that incident, I, I was reminded of this parable, how Jesus didn't make the ruling in the greedy man's life about the inheritance. What Jesus wants us to do is to wrestle with, do I tr- really want to please God? And I think God looks at the stuff in our life kind of like I view this toy. Um, when I saw my you know, kids talk, arguing over it, I thought, really? That thing? It's just a, it's silly. And I, I wonder if God views the stuff of life that we have kind of like that. It's really not about the things. It's about our, what we do with that. It's, it's about our perspective that God provides for us and God wants us to be rich toward him using what he's provided to us. So consider if the next step, one of these makes sense for you. If not one of these, that last line, write write in a a next step that you might take this week to move towards being rich toward God and avoiding that regret. Let me pray. Dear God, I do thank you for this story and for as challenging as it is, it is helpful to us. Uh, A reminder not to get wrapped up into the stuff of life, but really, what's at, what's at stake is actual life and storing up in heaven, being rich towards you, 
it's so hard uh, it's so hard to keep this perspective but I pray that you would help us quicken us to look to your ways and value what you value I pray in Jesus name amen thanks so much for joining us today we pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast